0: Over in the next few weeks, we will be interviewing the authors from the collaborative book, The Grief Experience, Tools for Acceptance, Resilience, and Connection, which is set to release in February of 2024. These authors have each experienced their own unique grief journey and will be sharing their personal stories with us. We will also explore the specific tools they used to cope with their grief and how these tools can benefit others who may be going through similar experiences. Grief is a complex and challenging process, and each person's experience is different. By sharing our stories and tools, we hope to provide support, guidance, and comfort to those navigating their grief journey. Each author has experienced different types of loss and comes from a variety of backgrounds, beliefs, and experiences. As a result, they offer valuable insights and perspectives. We are honored to have them join us on this podcast series and to share their stories and tools with you, our Path 11 Podcast listeners. Hi, and thanks for tuning in to the Path 11 Podcast. I am your host, April Hanna. At the Path 11 Podcast, we are here trying to deliver leading-edge research on consciousness, healing, and metaphysics. And just like you, we are trying to answer the big questions about life. Who are we? Why are we here? And what is our purpose? We hope by listening to our podcast, it will make each day you live on Earth a little easier to understand. And now for today's podcast. Hello, everyone, and thank you so much for tuning into the Path 11 podcast today. I'm so glad that you downloaded this episode. It is going to be quite a story a great story, and um, I also have some personal stuff to talk about with this guest, so uh, I would like to introduce you to her right away. My guest today is Dr. Gabby Miniscalco, and she is a licensed clinical psychologist and adjunct faculty in the Clinical Psychology PsyD program at Adler University. Before opening her own private practice, Mini Mental Health Services, She dedicated her career to working in complicated systems and institutions, such as correctional and residential settings, therapeutic day schools, community mental health, and higher levels of care, such as inpatient and partial hospitalization and intensive outpatient programs. Dr. Miniscalco has experience in program development, community outreach, supervision, and crisis management. She is also heavily involved in her community and is a member of the Lake County Suicide Prevention Task Force in Illinois. She is passionate about normalizing mental health support and believes everyone's unique life story deserves to be heard. She is an immigrant from Poland and understands the complexity of living in between two cultures and empowers people to make sense of their own multicultural identities. She also loves spending time with her cats, dogs, and chickens. And the topic today is going to be about cultural bereavement and the bereavement and loss than what can feel through immigration. And she is going to be telling her own personal and unique story of her immigration and how she came over. And one of the things that I'm excited to talk to her about is my husband's experience as well coming over from Poland and his family and his experience with that and the grief that they also felt. Gabby is also a co-author in the book that I am part of, The Grief Experience. So this is the topic that she is going to bring to this wonderful book that we are all creating and is one of the authors. And I am really excited to hear her story because it, not that it will, it might hit close to home. I'm not sure. I'm sure Gabby's story and my husband's story are different. But as I have learned so much about Poland and just all of the different trials and tribulations that my husband and his family went through when he came over. So I'm really excited to hear Gabby's story. And I'd like to welcome her now to the podcast. Hi, Gabby.
1: Hi. Hello. Thanks for having me.
0: So great to have you. So, yeah. So why don't we start from the beginning? I would love to hear your personal story of immigration and how you and your family came from Poland here to the United States.
1: Yeah, sure. So rewinding back to my beginning, when I was four years old, we were living in Poland in a small town. And it was just like any other regular day. My mom went outside, took me for a walk, went to go check the mail. And she discovered a Manila envelope. She didn't think much of it. She was a little confused. So we went about our day. Um, and when we got home, she opened this envelope and everything was in a foreign language. It was in English. She had no idea what it meant, what it was. So she talked to my dad about it and they had to go to the village translator to figure out what all of this meant and the translator looked it over and said congratulations you're going to america and they were like what (laughs) What? (laughs) like (laughs) how silly and he was like no seriously you won a green card to go to the united states and they were extremely perplexed thought it was a joke and the translator kept reassuring them like no this this is addressed to you and they thought it was really weird because they never applied for any sort of visa they haven't even thought about moving to america they had just bought a condo they were settling in like everything was fine So then they had to go back to the community and ask people in their network, like, did you, by any chance, enter us in a lottery to win the green card? And, you know, that's kind of how people in our town and our family found out that we could potentially be moving to America. So it, it was like this really weird dynamic. But eventually, they got down to the person who did confirm that they in fact went ahead and just entered our family's information onto an application to to win the green card, and we just we just won um yeah, and you know something that I hadn't realized until my adult life was that in 1994, so the year that we got the green card, the United States did have what they called a diversity immigration visa program. The goal of the United States was to enhance this multicultural community in in America. So. They wanted people from other countries to come. And I think that is so significant to me because it, that's not something we talk about when we discuss immigration, that it, that was the goal to diversify our country. So I think it's it's kind of um, it, it's very foundational to my story.
0: Wow, that is just wild and amazing. So your family was open to winning this, clearly, because you guys came. But, you know, what was the, you know, decision? Like you said, they had just bought a condo, you know, their life was settled. What do you think really prompted them to say, OK, yes, let's let's do this instead of staying in Poland?
1: Yeah, I I think my mom was um, pretty against it in the beginning. She didn't want to leave her life behind you know she she was very much under the impression that it takes a village to raise a child and that's what she would have gotten right we had a lot of support systems everything was familiar so she was against it from from the beginning but she also realized that in 1994 we were only a few years post-communism And while things were looking up and improving, there were limited opportunities. And she recognized that living in a small town, while it had its advantages and beauty, that maybe it would be worth it to try to give me an opening to a different world. And she also, the friend that had actually entered us into the lottery, was living in California. So the thing that kind of sold her was, okay, California, you know, it's, it's known for it, nature and mountains and forests and the ocean. Um, so that kind of persuaded her as well.
0: And when your family came over, did they have to learn English or were they already bilingual? Or how did that work just with the language? Was there a language barrier in coming over?
1: Yeah, a major, major language barrier. None of us knew how to speak English. And, you know, for my parents and I guess adults in general, I think they have a little bit more control or autonomy over choosing their community, choosing their spaces. They can advocate to get a job where people speak Polish or or they can embed themselves in the Polish community. Whereas for kids, we're just kind of plopped into a school with not a lot of choice. And whether someone speaks your language or not, it's just kind of coincidence.
0: Right. Yeah. Yeah. That's a little bit of what my um, husband had said, too. You know, when Uh, They had to come over because his brother needed a certain type of medical surgery to be able to get that he wasn't able to get in Poland. And so my husband's uncle was already over in the United States. So my husband's parents were able to make that connection, you know, with the uncle and bring the brother over to be able to get, you know, the medical procedure that he needed but my, you know, husband ended up learning English in school, but very much at a young age, at eight, was becoming a translator for his parents and, you know, helping the parents find apartments, to be able to pay the bills, to kind of be that in-between at a really young age because the parents primarily continued to speak, you know, their native language and did learn English. But You know, being young and at that age, I'm sure he was able to pick up on the language much, you know, quicker, but that carried a a whole lot of responsibility for him, you know, as well.
1: Yeah. And that, that kind of tracks with my story. And I imagine a lot of other immigrant children or children of immigrants, we, we have to grow up really fast. And the clinical term that, it kind of exemplifies that is called parentification. We're we're put in a role of providing those resources for our parents, whether it's translating or teaching them about the American culture or scheduling appointments. You know, we we have to grow up fast and we don't get a chance to to play or to be innocent, so to speak, because we have this extra responsibility to our families. Yeah, absolutely. And, um, you know, when we I was
0: preparing for this podcast, you know, I had was sharing it with my husband and he was like, oh, well, what are you guys going to talk about? And I said, well, you know, cultural bereavement and how grief can really play into, you know, coming over from a different culture and just thinking about all of those things that you lose, you know, some traditions or food or, you know, my husband always talks about the architecture is so different over in Poland. And just, you know, the buildings are so old and coming over here. And he was like, when they had gone to like an American church, he's like, this is a church? This look like a church, you know, you know, but a lot of that stuff and trying to feel the comforts of his home country you know, here, but he had said that his mom definitely felt a lot of grief, you know, leaving her family behind and stuff like that. So I'm curious to hear about the grief component for you and your family and, you know, what you experienced. And I'd like you to talk about the cultural bereavement.
1: Sure. Yeah. So by definition, cultural bereavement refers to the, the loss of structure that one's culture provides the different traditions the different rules spoken or unspoken um, and i think when we when we talk about immigration the the obvious thing that comes to mind is all the things we're leaving behind like our support network our schools our our, our traditions the food the smells, right, the architecture, the nature, everything that's familiar, we are leaving behind very abruptly, really, not knowing if we'll ever go back. Um, is, so that—that that is really tough. I think the the losses, though, it, they continue on. And the thing that I've spent a lot of time exploring is the loss of my Polish identity when I arrived here, because in a way, it was dangerous to be an immigrant. It it wasn't safe to be different. It wasn't safe to be a foreigner. You're very quickly outcasted. And as a child, that's that's very detrimental to be misunderstood on so many different levels. So it was really tough because I I was stuck in such a conflict of, okay, if I'm Polish, I will be connected to my family, but I will be rejected from the American culture. If I abandon my Polish identity, I'll lose connection to my family. But I'll belong and I'll be accepted in America. And when I was growing up as a child, that felt more important, right? School was my primary environment. So it felt more important to fit in at school than with my family.
0: Sure. Yeah. I mean, makes sense. Absolutely. Absolutely. So, how, as you have gotten older, right, and I'm assuming still feel very connected to your Polish heritage, how do you find and integrate that balance now, maybe to even help with some of the grief that you still, like you said, may feel it's still ongoing
1: yeah, you know it's it's really complicated because i don't I don't feel whole I don't. Feel American, I don't feel Polish. I I truly feel Polish American, American Polish. So spending time with people who just identify as Polish doesn't really fit for me. it's it's a little intimidating because I I stopped developing my Polish identity when I was a child, when I moved here. And as you can imagine, I also don't, I'm also not fully American. So spending time with people who are just American raised and born and raised here for generations also doesn't feel quite right. So over the years, I've recognized that I truly gravitate to people who have also immigrated or who identify as bicultural. It you know ideally also Polish, but I think I I do connect with people who are from other countries and have this bicultural experience where they recognize that it, there are some cultural cultural references to American culture that just go over their heads, right? Like pop culture from the 80s. Like I, I have no idea. So it's kind of a, a tricky, a tricky journey, but it's possible. I, I definitely seek out people who are bicultural. And then I also, it, I like to maintain my, pol- my Polish heritage by going to Polish delis and listening to the Polish radio. And whenever my mom visits Poland, I'm like, bring me back all the Polish snacks that I can't buy here.
0: Yeah. Yeah. Those are some of the things that we do, too. I I really love learning about the different culture and and food because my family, they were big cooks, you know. So I actually Changed our tradition of what I was used to, like eating at Christmas time and and Thanksgiving and stuff like that. Had started bringing more of my husband's recipes, like family recipes, and would learn the different things. You know, I said to him, I "Was like, well, what did your mom make for you? You know, like what brings back really good memories?" Because I'm a pretty good cook, so and he would say, "Oh, it was something like this." And then I went and googled and researched this like Polish potato salad with apples and peas and all of this stuff, and was able to make that. So like. As a spouse, I also try to really honor that and try to bring some more of that in because that is important to him as well. We made sure that we got a Polish flag and he's got a little American-Polish, proud to be Polish-American, American-Polish. I'm not sure which order it goes in, you know, on the license plate. And then the Polish pottery is just beautiful. So, you know, we have some plates that we use during the holiday time and just like also trying to bring some of those traditions in. And we do have a deli that, there, it's a Euro deli close to where we live. So we'll go and we'll get the pierogies and the kibasa and stuff like that. And then he showed me the different candies and the snacks and treats, you know, when he first went in there, when I was, you know, with him, he was like, oh my God, this is back so many memories, you know, just to even see the wrappers of of, you know, the different foods and stuff like that. And he has not yet been back to Poland since he was eight. So we're hoping to do that in the next couple of years. But I was curious to know, have you gone back at all?
1: Yes, actually, I went back in 2019. So just a few years ago, and I I was able to bring my husband. And we did the whole tour of Warsaw, the whole tour of Krakow. We visited Auschwitz. Um, and that was really valuable to me because I I never got a chance to visit other parts of Poland, at least not very significantly. So it was nice for me as an adult to see other parts of, of the culture. And then we we did travel to Oleksko, which is the, the town that I'm from. And it's actually so small that I wasn't even born there because they didn't have a a delivery unit in the hospital. So I was born like an hour outside of Oletzko because that's where they did deliveries. So that's always interesting, too, just to kind of highlight how small the town was. You know, we we had one movie theater, one of everything, essentially. But it it was really powerful to go back and it really made me feel grounded it it made me feel right that i i could i could truly be myself i i didn't have to suppress parts of myself and i think uh, i'm a big believer in things being passed down from generations, right? So I do have Polish blood in me. I I have my generational stories running through me. I I have the history of my ancestors. And while I don't know it, it's in me. And I I can't put words to it, but revisiting Poland and, and my town just really made me reflect on hey like this is a big part of you 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 should continue to cultivate this and i would love to keep going back and my husband and i joke that maybe we'll retire in poland
0: Mm, very nice yeah i can't wait to see it i've never been what is your husband's ethnicity he's italian italian okay awesome my family's from Italy, so I've got part part Italian on my side as well. So and how was how has it been for him, you know, to, you know, just in your relationship to be with you and understanding some of that that grief that you continue to to feel and almost like that subdivide? you know, what is it like for him and and you?
1: Yeah. you know, we've been together for almost ten years. so he he's finally kind of understanding that like I mentioned earlier, there's a lot of things that go over my head. I I don't often get the pop cultural references. So he's gotten into this pretty cute habit of being like, hey, have you ever seen this show? Or was that pre-America? And I'm like, you know, thanks. That's, that's really meaningful because you're not just assuming that I don't know this show because I'm aloof or I'm ignorant that it, it just wasn't a part of my upbringing and I think he's he's gotten really great at just being mindful of the tra- of the traditions of the food and encouraging me to keep connecting to, to the culture and you know he will himself suggest that we go check out a new Polish deli this weekend or or something like that. So it's it's been an adjustment, but in a good way.
0: Yeah, lovely. I love hearing that. So in our book, The Grief Experience, you're going to be touching upon this subject. And did you want to speak at all about the tool that you're offering the readers of what they can use to help with their their grief and loss experience if they are also going through this.
1: Sure, um, I'll be I'll be talking about a few different tools. One that we keep coming back to is the food, right there. There is nothing that tastes as good as Polish ponchki, the the jelly filled donuts, right there. There's nothing else like it. So it's it's things like that that I think are are beautiful reminders that we can have just a little bit of home inside our American home. I think the the other tool that I would like to highlight is not being afraid to use your native language's words. There uh, there are certain words in Polish that don't translate into English, and and sometimes I try really hard to think of the word, but for whatever reason, maybe because I was exposed to a certain word more in Polish than English, it just doesn't sound right in English. Um, so there are just like simple little words that I've taught my husband. So now instead of saying that word in English. He'll kind of always just say it in Polish. It's not even like a super significant or meaningful word. It, it's just a word that I deemed as, as special. So that's been a source of like joy and comfort. And I think seeing him put in the effort to kind of match me and be there for me in that way has also helped me cope with some of the grief. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And are you also bilingual? Do you speak Polish? Yeah.
0: Mm -hmm. Okay. So this is a funny story. too. So, I, you know, I would ask my husband, oh, can you teach me some Polish words? And he's like, yeah. He's like, gosh, you know, it's just been so long. So I was thinking, I don't know why I was thinking this, that maybe like he could just remember words, you know, in, in his native language. So, you know, he taught me some like good morning and good night and I love you and and stuff like that. And then he recently had gotten a phone call from one of his aunts who also speaks Polish, you know, was from, I think she was also from Poland. And all of a sudden I hear him and he's talking on the phone. I'm going to call my aunt. I'm like, okay. And I'm hearing like weird sounds. And I'm like, what is going on? I'm like, you know, everybody's talking kind of loud. I could hear her. And then I go into the room and he is speaking fluent Polish. (laughs) I'm like, oh shoot, right now. I'm like, because I was like, oh, if we went to Poland, do you think, you know, we could get by? And he's like, yeah, I think I could get by, but he completely downplayed it. I had no idea. He's I'm like, Paul, oh, you're bilingual. I'm like, you can speak full sentences. You know? He's like, yeah, but not at a really good level. But I'm like, no, still. I'm like, I thought you just knew certain words. So um I was really shocked to, you know, experience that, you know, from him. And I just thought it was so cool and and awesome. And here I'm thinking. You know, maybe his level of remembering Polish words is my level of remembering Spanish from you know when I learned that in in high school. But one of the things that I also try to do is say his name in Polish. So the American version is Paul, but his mom would always call him Pavo. So Pavo is you know the name in Polish. So I also try to do that when I can remember from time to time. And it's a little bit of a joke sometimes. Like if I'm outside and I need, I'm like Pavo. You know, it's so fun to say. It's just you know has like a nice little ring to it. So. Yeah, that's also something that I've also embraced and trying to learn a little more of the Polish, you know, language and words and say certain things as well. So, yeah, but he blew me away. I was like, I'm like, we're going to be fine if we go to Poland. I'm like, I'm so much more comfortable now knowing like, (laughs) hello. And it didn't dawn on me, but like they they continued to speak Polish in the home, you know, up into his 30s. So his parents really their primary language was Polish, even though they had learned English. So then I was thinking, okay, yeah, I don't know why I thought, you know, I was picturing in my mind, oh, he came over when he was eight years old. So maybe he just remembers parts of it. But I forgot that he was actually still speaking fluent Polish, you know, until they had passed away when he was in his 30s. So, yeah, so I'm really looking forward to going over to uh, Poland and was really excited to speak with you um, to also just have this recording so he can listen to it and hopefully it'll, you know, he'll really relate to it. And, you know, I think when you share these types of stories and people can relate, they feel a little less alone. Like, oh, yes, I can totally relate to that too. And same with him. There's some some of that pop culture where I'll be singing a certain song or there'll be a song on a radio and I'm like, oh, do you remember this song? And he would say the same thing. No, it must have been before I came, you know, came over. So, So that's been really fun for me to be able to show him. Either those shows or those songs, you know, that he hadn't heard of before, but are very popular, you know, for people that have lived here as like a reference point, like you said, back in the 80s. So, yeah, well, Gabby, so tell me just a little bit more before we go, your private practice, like what are some things that you're offering to people and, you know, how are you helping people? Can people book a session with you or you know, what is your business kind of like? Because I know you're also teaching, so I'd like to learn a little bit more on the other end of that.
1: Sure. I am a huge psychology nerd. I, I wanted to be a psychologist since I was about 10. So I'm I'm really thrilled that I I got to accomplish my dream. But my private practice focuses primarily on Supporting people with histories of trauma, specifically complex trauma. I work a lot with people from other cultures. No surprise there. Yeah. yeah. So I like I said, I I'm also teaching at the graduate level. I am doing some training, some presentations, some community engagement some writing now too. I'll I'll be an author, so that's pretty cool. But you know, I I think I I mostly just want to destigmatize mental health and and therapy. You know, we all deserve someone to talk to. We all deserve to be heard and we all deserve to feel connected. It it is really truly the relationships that we have in our lives that shape us and and heal us and make us feel like we are worthy.
0: Absolutely. And can you tell people where you're located again, just so if people are listening to this? And, and I'm also curious to know if you do anything virtually or if you are just doing it in your home state.
1: Yeah, so I am fully virtual. I am based out of Illinois, but I am PSYPAC certified so I can provide services to people in 39 states. Wow. Yeah. I And I also have another clinician that works with me for me. So she's also available for services and she is a yoga teacher. So she incorporates yoga into therapy, therapy into yoga. And I think that is another beautiful way that people can utilize therapy it it doesn't just have to be talking there's other ways for us to express ourselves and create connections
0: wow amazing so that's really cool so what is it called again side
1: pack side
0: what did you say again
1: yes yeah, side pack it's 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 a certification for psychologists where they can practice across state lines.
0: Wow, that's really awesome. Yeah, because for like social workers or at least in our state in New York, you know, if you want to work with clients in a different state, you have to get licensure in that state. We don't have anything that is kind of like a catch-all, it's like you have to apply for licensure in each single state that you want to, you know, work with people in. So that's really amazing. That's very cool. That's great. Well, we've got people all over the world listening to this, you know, podcast. And so can you also tell them how they can find you or reach you through your website?
1: Sure. So the website is minimentalhealth.com. I also have a cool swanky Instagram, Mini Mental Health Services, so pretty accessible. And if you haven't connected it yet, Mini is part of our last name, Menescalco. So that's where the name comes from. Love it. Well, I'm definitely
0: going to find your Instagram page. I'll be following you on on my business page, Hannah's Healing and Path 11. And um, I'm really looking forward to our book coming out. I think it's going to be wonderful. You know, 25 different authors talking about their own personal experiences with grief, offering some tools for the reader, you know, to help you through your grief journey. And again, that book is called The Grief Experience. We will have a link in the show notes for our book, The Grief Experience. Right now, we are taking pre-orders. It is scheduled to be released in February of 2024, early February. And if you go ahead and purchase that book, I'm actually going to be signing them and I'll be mailing them off to you. So I would love for you guys to purchase that to help support uh, our book and also if when you do get it, if you can give it a nice review on Amazon, that always helps us just to kind of get up there in the search. And it's just going to be a phenomenal book. So I hope you guys will purchase that. I also hope you enjoyed this conversation that I had with Dr. Gabby. Is it okay if I call you Dr. Gabby? Um, and it was great. I can't wait for my husband to listen to this podcast. And, you know, I just thank you so much for your story and just helping us to learn a little bit more about what it's like to, you know, be an immigrant and coming over here and how grief and loss can also, you know, affect you in that transition and coming over. So thank you so much for being a guest on the Path 11 podcast today.
1: Yeah. Thank you so much for this opportunity. And I'd like to thank all of you
0: so much for tuning in, downloading this, and listening. If you like what you hear and feel like it is of value, just a reminder, we do have a Patreon account that you can go ahead. You can give us a one-time donation if you'd like, or even just rate us in the Apple podcast. Giving us those five stars, again, is a great way to show your support. So thank you all so much, and I will bring you another wonderful guest very soon. Take care of yourselves, everyone. Bye-bye. Thanks so much for tuning in to today's show. If you haven't already, please subscribe and rate and review the Path 11 podcast in Spotify, Apple Podcasts or wherever you listen to your podcasts. Also, this podcast is made possible by our sponsor, Path 11 TV. Visit path11tv.com to start a seven day free trial of exclusive video content on consciousness, healing and life after death. That's path11tv.com and be sure to use coupon code PODCAST30 to take 30% off your annual membership. Start satisfying your spiritual curiosity with a membership to PEP11TV today. Bye for now.